Uh, my name is Mark. If you don't know, don't know me. Um, I now serve as one of the pastors here at the Hallows Church. Yes, awesome. It is very, very exciting, um, and it is um, a delight to share God's word with you uh, this evening. Um, we have been walking through the book of Acts, and uh, today we're going to continue on in that journey where we're going to be um, diving into Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 25. So if you want to take your Bibles and you want to turn there, that would be wonderful. And while you do so, I'm going to pray for us. So I'm going to give you a minute. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can worship you. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you stir our hearts and our affections towards you in your gospel? Would you let us see your grace that is moving and working within us and bringing us joy as we take that joy and we live that out in the city? God, would you be with us? Would you be showing us the way? In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, so recently, if you've been following pop culture, you've noticed that there's a big conversation that's been happening in media right now and in kind of pop culture. It's this talk of Christianity because there's been um, some artists, some hip-hop artists, in fact, that have recently converted and are now making a very public declaration of the gospel. And it's making everyone in media super uncomfortable. It's making everyone really nervous and no one really quite knows what to do with it. No one quite knows how to respond and to, and to ask questions when someone keeps saying... Jesus is the Messiah. I'm a Christian. They don't know what to do with it. And there was even this one interview that I was watching with this, this hip-hop artist. He's, he's continually talking about Jesus. And the, the interviewer is just like completely baffled. He's just not sure. So he keeps trying to bring the conversation back to things that are either funny or kind of work. And um, he's asking, so what's your evening routine? What do you, what do, you do at night? And he's like, I read my Bible. You read your Bible. Yes, I read my Bible. You read your Bible. Yes, I read my Bible. And keep going back and forth. And then at the end, so awkward, the interviewer just says, will you give me a million dollars? Like, what? And as I was watching this, then I started listening to some of the music. And in the YouTube channel, I started reading some of the comments below on, on the video. And you shouldn't do that. Don't read YouTube comments. Most of you guys know why. Yes, don't read those. But sometimes you find something pretty good. And this is what I found. Someone was responding to, to some of the music um, that was being put out. They said, God is taking his people back and using hip-hop to build that bridge. Satan, did you see that coming? No, you didn't. All praise to the King of Kings. Jesus is God. Spiritual warfare, it's on, y'all. Get on that armor of God and be blessed. I think this person was reading through the book of Acts when they wrote that. Because 
That statement perfectly sums up where our story begins this evening. Last week, we heard one of the most powerful stories in all of church history. Stephen, a newly appointed deacon, became the first martyr. Demonic influence closed in on the church in Jerusalem and through Saul's direction, severe like severe persecution broke out in the church. And it was so severe that Christians were forced out of Jerusalem and into Judea and Samaria. And the strategy was to disperse and to weaken this new movement. But what they didn't see coming was just how powerful our God is. Because the expectation was for believers now to be silenced. But that's not what happened at all. Instead, they were given a new boldness. A new boldness that took everyone by surprise. The gospel stirred the hearts of believers and sent them out preaching the word. Let's read together verses 4 and 5. This is what it says. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. So believers are empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach the word wherever they go. No one has any formal training. No one has a degree in missions. No one, they're not even the apostles. That's important. Like they're not even the apostles yet. The apostles so far have been doing this. This is just everyone else. The apostles, they stayed in Jerusalem. Everyone else is out and everyone else is walking in step with the spirit. And God is using them in miraculous ways. Satan is not omnipresent and he's not all-knowing. And this is going to hit him in between the eyes. Because, unfortunately for him, Philip goes down to Samaria. So I don't know if you guys know about Philip. But Philip loves the Lord. Philip loves the Lord. And he's one of these newly appointed deacons in chapter 6, verse 5. And what we know about him later in Acts, from this experience, along with the one with the, after this with the Ethiopian eunuch, is that he gets this unique title of evangelist. This unique title. Now, all of us, all Christians are evangelists in some way, but some people are given this unique title like we see in the scriptures with Philip. Philip is given this unique title, but we're still seeing a normal person with this unique gift talking to anyone and everyone about Jesus. And that's basically what they give him this title for. Is he is someone boldly proclaiming the gospel to people that he doesn't know. Philip's personality is like harmoniously intertwined with the Holy Spirit. God is using him to spread his church. And every disciple of Jesus can make an impact for the kingdom. 
every disciple of Jesus can make an impact for the kingdom. I hope you believe that. Oftentimes we think that it's our personalities that prevent us in our faith. Uh, it's like they're, they're trying to learn how to work together. But it's passion and love for something that always exudes out of us. It's always exuding out of us. Anytime that you're talking with someone for the first time, the first natural things that you're going to talk about are what you're passionate about. And that's what Philip is experiencing as the Holy Spirit is within him and he's walking in step with the Spirit. His mission is Christ's mission. His passion is Christ's passion. His burden is Christ's burden. His love is Christ's love. That's how God is using Philip, just like he's using us. Philip went down into a city in Samaria and proclaimed the gospel to them. So let's keep, let's read on here. Verse 6, it says, The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip had said. And as they listened and saw the signs he was performing, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. An author by the name of uh, Calvin Miller, he wrote, he, wrote these, uh, he wrote these allegorical stories on the gospel. And in one of the books, he writes on the book of Acts. And in it, he describes this spiritually dead, demonically oppressed place. And it really gives us a good description of the city in Samaria where Philip was walking into. And this is what he says. The thick, hot air clotted commerce and forced all men to wade in its deadness. The desert leered at villagers and waited with the vultures for life to change to death. Each man hoped for rain and begged the question, when comes the wind? Half-truths had festered the lifeless air, for most believed the lie, which taught that the singer had died that shrouded night, that timbers tumbled to the ground. There was no hope left, and people were waiting to die. It's a hopeless, stagnant, dead city with people searching for truth in all of the wrong ways and in all of the wrong places. But the wind is about to come. Philip comes in filled with the Holy Spirit, sharing the truth of the gospel. And it's heard. And it's accepted. And people are converted. It's like a light that turns on and illuminates this whole town and fills this city with the light of the gospel. You see, witchcraft was a common practice in Samaria at that time. And given the description of the Samaritans and what they worshiped, we can assume that before the gospel came into the city, they were living completely immersed in witchcraft, and the thing is that they genuinely believed that by easing the spiritual forces through spells, it was the only way to bring peace. 
No one was helping the other. Each was trapped in the bitterness of longing for freedom and not finding it. But now the gospel message is liberating crowds of people. And Luke, he wants us to make a special note of one person in particular. And this is a man named Simon. So we don't know much about Simon, other than he was a terrible influence on people. He was considered, his name was Simon Magus, or what we would call Simon the Magician. He's a sorcerer. He's a, a magician that meddled with witchcraft. And he had more control over the spirits, spiritual forces than others. So naturally, those who were possessed and those who were filled with the spiritual bondage, they saw a man who was able to control these spirits. And so they looked at him. And in verse 10, they say, they all paid attention to him from the least of them to the greatest. And they saw this man and they said, this man is the great power of God. Verse 11, they were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. But was he really in control? Or was he too being controlled? Right. That's the, and that's the fundamental difference between magic and miracles. Magic is man's attempt to control and to alter the natural world for their personal benefit and gain. But a miracle is a person's self or a surrender of self-will to the greater will of God. Philip was glorifying God, not himself. And Simon saw these miracles that were being performed, and he too was convinced. He's witnessing people experiencing true freedom for the first time in their lives. He saw Philip's power that was a power that was far superior to his own. And so he thinks by joining Philip and moving cl closer to Philip, he's going to have and receive this greater power and hopefully attain it. His conversion, his, his attitude and his interactions, they all made the case genuine conversion and repentance. Philip came with the power of the gospel. This response of the gospel through Philip's mission is beautifully stated in verse 8. In the short verse, verse 8. So there was great joy in that city. Jesus liberates the tormented and replaces their despair with joy. Jesus liberates the tormented, replaces their despair with joy. Luke alone describes this, this liberation of, and uses the word joy over 12 times in his gospel and in Acts. And what we're now about to see is how the Holy Spirit brings this peaceful unity to the church. Verses 14 through 17, this is what it says. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, 
they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, what's going on here? I don't know if, if you're like me, but I started kind of asking some, some questions. The apostles, they get word that there's this, this movement of faith in Samaria. So Peter and John go down, but they're not just going down as representatives of, of the apostles. They're going down as representatives of the church. But still, we need to ask ourselves, why did they go? Philip, he had the Holy Spirit. Why did the Holy Spirit wait to visibly manifest himself until then, until the apostles got there? How come he didn't do it when Philip was there? Are they, are they going there to approve of Philip's work? They are not. I think, I think what's happening is that God is up to something more than just waiting for the Holy Spirit to be visibly seen in Samaria. Philip is bringing the light. The apostles are bringing the wind. God sent Peter and John to show the world that he's on the move. Just like a ripple in a lake that's thrown by a stone, God is bringing his presence out of Jerusalem and into Samaria for the first time. Now, these believers in Samaria are a part of God's family, unifying these two people groups together. And he's using John of all people to do it. Now you might ask yourself, well, why wouldn't he use John? John's awesome. We like John, he's cool. But there's something deeper about this. And this, is and this is Luke making an author's note here. Because he wants you to pay attention to which apostles go. And this is the reason why. Back in his gospel, that's volume one. Gospel, volume one, Acts, volume two. Back in his gospel, he recounts a story of Jesus walking with his disciples and they're walking through Samaria. This is Luke chapter 9, verse 54. He describes this moment when, as they're walking, the Samaritans completely reject Jesus. And they tell Jesus to, to leave the city and go back to Jerusalem because he's not going to stay there. And this fills John with disgust for the Samaritans. And it fills him with hatred towards them. So much so that in verse 54, he and his brother James, they, go to, they come to Jesus, and this is what they said. When the disciples James and John saw this, this treatment of Jesus, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? What is he saying? These people are not like us. They have rejected you, burn them down, get rid of them. 
we do not want this type of people here. They are not with us. They will never be with us. But in that moment, Jesus turned to him and rebukes him. And then they go on their way. And that's all we hear from the story. That's how the story ends. Jesus turns, rebukes him, and then they go on their way. Flash forward to now. John, the disciple of Jesus who once hated the Samaritans, is welcoming them into the family of God as brothers and sisters. Is that not incredible? That's incredible. And that is a beautiful picture of reconciliation in the church. The Holy Spirit brings peaceful unity to the church. Jesus is making us more like himself. And when we embrace those around us as brothers and sisters, that's when we get to move in step with the Spirit. And the minister and the ministry are changed. Let me say that again. When a disciple is moving in step with the Spirit, the minister and the ministry are changed. When I was in, a year after me being in high school, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. And I was kind of freaking out. All of my friends were going to college. I didn't really know what to do, so I started praying about it. And I was a, new, I was a newer believer at that time. And I was praying, and I felt that God was calling me to go to a school called YWAM. It's this Youth with a Mission. It's this missions organization for young adults. So I pray about it. I feel like God's calling me to go there. So I go, and um, I get accepted, and I go in. And there, this school is kind of unique in that for six months of the year, you're going to be in the base in the States. But then for another three months, you're going to go and you're going to do an international missions trip. And so as everybody's going, everyone's getting handed out the places that they're going to go do their, their missions trip on. And as you can assume, there's just a big crowd of young, really excited people. So everybody's cheering every time someone announces like where they're going to go. Like, I'm going to India. Ah, I'm going to someplace else. Ah, Thailand. Ah right? Everyone's getting super excited, and I just don't know what's going to happen, but God sends me to Cambodia. And I say, okay, where exactly, right? I wasn't sure exactly where it was, and honestly, I think the reason that I didn't really want to go is because that's where, uh, because I had met Amy in Montana, and that's my wife, and she was super interested in me at that time. <laughs> super, super into me. We weren't dating yet, but that's irrelevant to the story. <laughs> and so I get brought to Cambodia. And I, and I don't really want to be there, but I'm there. And they're leading us around this, all of these different places that we get to do ministry in for the next three months. And the first place they take me to is an orphanage. And as I walked through the gates, this orphanage was set up as like buildings that made this kind of circle. And it would start from youngest all the way to the oldest. And the oldest were some, some people who were in their 20s and they grew up in that orphanage. They were never adopted. And so they lived their whole lives there, eventually serving the younger ones. 
But as I'm walking through, I'm noticing this first building, and it's completely quiet, and you would never know that that was the nursery. And the reason why it was so quiet is because there wasn't enough people to staff and care for the kids and spend time for the babies that were there. So when they would cry, it wouldn't do them any good. People would only come in to feed them or to change them, and then they would need to leave. And there were three babies in this nursery. And as soon as you opened the door, no one made a sound. They all just looked at you. And the first one that, I, that noticed my attention was, was a little boy. He was about a year old, and his name was Samba. And Samba was HIV positive. And being HIV positive, that meant that he was going to spend his whole life there. And it was unlikely that he would, he would, that he would ever be adopted. So he's eventually going to make his way down each building at a time. And then in the far end of the room was this little six-month-old girl named Rexa. And Rexa was really thin. And she was probably, if not all of them were very quiet, she was probably the quietest of them. And she was thin because she had tuberculosis. And because she had tuberculosis, she was moved to the far end because with babies, if um, with, with TB, if, they, if their saliva gets on another baby, it could infect them as well. But the problem was is that because she was so far away, she was often more neglected than the others. And then right by the door was a little two-month-old baby who was laying on her stomach and looking up at the door. And she had this huge bandage on her, la on her shoulder. And that was from a few weeks before her mother noticed that there was a birthmark on her shoulder and thought that that meant that her baby was unclean. So she tried to remove it herself, causing excruciating pain for this little, this little one. And being alarmed by what she had done and not knowing what to do next, she brought the baby to the orphanage to grow there, and then she left. The Holy Spirit broke my heart for these kids. And he put a passion in me that was not there before and has not left since. God brought me a reluctant sinner to be his hands and feet to these little ones. Friends, the, the act of just turning a baby over on their back so that their chest can have some relief is such a simple act in itself, but profound in its implications for the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus does for the lost and for the needy. He goes to them and he liberates them and he changes the hearts of everyone. Everyone's changed. Everyone's affected. John once saw a people that he hated, but Jesus broke his heart for them and his entire perspective changed. I'll tell you this, that you could not... Remove me from that nursery. I saw Samba walk. I saw Rexa gain weight. I saw her start talking. And I saw this little girl with this wound. I saw her get adopted 
Now, I haven't been the same since because God worked in me and through me at the same time. And know this, friends. God is working in you and through you when you are walking in step with the Spirit, especially in the difficult stuff. Are you in a ministry that's hard right now? Are you feeling burdened? Are you feeling tired? Wait, wait on Jesus. Wait on him to show you what he's doing inside of you because you will see that he is changing and he is moving in you and through you. Peter and John, they laid their hands on them and everyone receives the Holy Spirit. That is, that is almost everyone. Verse, nine, verse 18. It says, when Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he'd offered them money, saying, give me this power also that anyone I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon's observing this miracle happening, and it's not happening to him. So he says, I had this city in the palm of my hand. I had everyone was turning to me, but now everyone's gaining this new power of God and not me. Why can't I have this power? So what he does, walking towards the disciples, he does what, any, what he would do any other time when he needed a new method of sorcery. How much? How much? I'm a God to these people. Give me this power also so that anyone I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But you can't buy grace. It's not for sale. You can't buy grace. You can't buy the heart melting, the liberating, the joyous, the unifying love the Spirit brings to us, you cannot buy it. There are so many people who think that you can buy it, but you can't. And Peter says to him in verse 20, may your silver be destroyed with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money? You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Your part or share means you're not part of this church. God is not giving you a place here because your heart is not right. But does Peter say, be off with you. Get out of here. No, what does he say? Repent. Repent. Turn. Turn from the darkness. Turn from this wickedness. Pray to him who saves Peter could see how deep into sorcery he was. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. The Bible is saturated with God presenting himself to confront and reconcile people to himself. Let me say that one more time. The Bible is saturated with God presenting himself to confront 
and reconcile people to himself. Think about Cain and Genesis. Cain is plotting to kill his brother Abel. And what does God do to him? Does he say, be off with you. Get out of here. Does he end him? No, he says, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Don't do this. Cain, don't do it. Sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. You must rule over it. Confession and repentance are what God pleads for those snared in sin. God spoke to Cain. And through his apostle, he's saying, repent. So the poison of bitterness doesn't take over. Bitterness is poison. All of us have experienced bitterness at one point or another. And all of us know just how strong it is. It will contaminate anything it seeps into. Imagine something like a motor oil that's being dipped into a glass of water. It's going to spread. It's going to contaminate everything in, in the entire host. It's going to change all of it. So how do we warrant bitterness? By bringing it to Jesus. By bringing it to Jesus. That's confession. Bring a sin to Jesus and let the light of the gospel shine on, shine on it, revealing itself and its true nature to you and the damage that it has and the power that it has over you. Only then through the Spirit, the strength of the Spirit, can we then repent. Once we see a sin for what it is, but we need help. We need the Spirit to show us. Then we can turn away. Peter, he tells Simon to repent. But what does Simon say in response? Verse 24. You pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen. Okay, so what's happening here? That's not quite the response, but I'm a little confused. You pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen. So some theologians kind of go a bit back and forth on whether or not Simon repented. But one thing is agreed, this is a super lame response. Only slightly moved. He doesn't pray for forgiveness, but he asks Peter to do it for him. Now, we don't know exactly, but we know that there are... Well, let me back up. That is not repentance. You can't ask someone else to repent for you. Simon is wanting Peter to do it for him. He doesn't want to do it. Repentance is bringing and turning away from sin. But though it doesn't tell us exactly, Luke does give us another author's note here. And he wants us to see 
a similar picture and he wants us to have some comparing and contrasting in terms of what is a posture of repentance. So this same response is from, a, it, there's someone else who has that same response. And that's Pharaoh. Pharaoh to Moses and Aaron says, appeal to the Lord for me so that what, you, what you're saying is gonna happen doesn't happen. He says that four times during the plague. Same picture, same response, not repentance. But Luke wants to show us another picture of repentance, another posture of repentance, and that's in his gospel. When Jesus is telling this story of two men who go into a temple, the first man that comes into the temple is a Pharisee. And he stands there and he's standing in this temple and saying, God, thank you for not making me like a terrible sinner. Thank you for making me so great and godly. But Jesus tells, says, there was a tax collector standing far off. He wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept beating his chest saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went to his house justified. Jesus is in the business of rescuing people from their sin. Do you believe that? He is in the business of rescuing people from his sin. We have a part to play in that through confession, repentance, because they bring liberating joy. And after Samaria is saved and the wicked are rebuked, this story, this ends with a happy ending. Verse 25 says, so after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord. They traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Mission accomplished. Joy has been brought to the city. And joy is gonna be brought in this city through prayer and our hearts being stirred for the city and for those around us, we too can walk in step with the Spirit and witness God's liberating grace. Would you pray with me?